Good afternoon, and welcome to Outer Cape News on WOMR. My name is Matthew Dunn. This is your update on what's happening on the Lower and Outer Cape, drawing on stories reported in the pages of the Provincetown Independent, the Provincetown Banner, the Cape Codder, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. In this week's edition, Beth Dunn and I deliver summaries of election results in East Ham, Orleans, Brewster, and Harwich, as well as updates on a couple of Outer Cape businesses and regulations. Will David is here with his exclusive WOMR Weekend Weather Outlook, and Ira Wood contributes a piece entitled, Unintelligible at Any Speed. The annual election ballot in Orleans was the largest in town history, but it resulted in no surprises once the votes were all in. Board of Health members Sims McGrath and John Canaga both won re-election to new three-year terms. Turnout in Orleans was 27 percent, with 1,526 voters casting a ballot. Select board incumbents Andrea Reed and Mefford Runyon will both return to the panel for another three-year term. This will be Reed's second term and Runyon's third. Constable Kevin Higgins will get another three-year term, and Judith Schumacher will sit on the Nauset Regional School Committee for another three-year term. Voters approved raising property taxes to pay for various projects and services, including the Veterans Memorial Park Rehabilitation, an aerial ladder truck for the fire department, and the reconstruction of the Pilgrim Lake Fish Ladder. Other Proposition 2.5 override questions that passed include a Rock Harbor dredging project, the Meeting House Pond Area Collection System and Pumping Station project, and the Downtown Area Sewer Collection System. Voters also agreed that the town should raise real estate and personal property taxes to fund the town's share of the Cape Cod Regional Technical High School and Nauset Regional School District assessments. Sixteen of the questions related to charter amendments that town meeting passed in 2022 were all passed. In Brewster, preliminary results from town clerk Colette Williams indicate that incumbent selectman Edward Chatelaine beat challenger Laurel Labden by just six votes in Tuesday's annual town election. Turnout in Brewster was 29 percent. Labden said on Wednesday that she plans to seek a recount, not because it will change the result, but because she wants Brewster voters to be confident in the result and know that their vote was counted in a fair and accurate manner. More decisive choices were made in the Brewster races for the Board of Health and Recreation Commission. In the race for two three-year terms on the health board, Abigail Archer and John Keith prevailed. The Recreation Commission had five candidates for two three-year terms. Winning the two seats are 36-year incumbent Roland Bassett Jr. and Christopher Ellis. Charles Sumner was re-elected as moderator. Two successful overrides granted extra funding to the elementary schools and the regional schools. Both of those overrides passed at the town meeting on May 1st and will take effect now that they've received the required approval at the polls. Orleans and East Ham also passed overrides on Tuesday to cover their increased contributions to the Nauset district. With the town's approvals, the Nauset budget is now considered official. 
If fewer than three towns had approved the extra funding, Nauset would have needed to submit a revised budget within 30 days, and the towns would have needed to call a special town meeting to act on it. Unofficial results from the East Ham Town Clerk's Office show overwhelming support for three ballot questions that voters faced on Tuesday. Turnout in East Ham was just under 23 percent, as voters approved debt exclusions to pay to dredge Rock Harbor and to pay for the planning, design, engineering, and permitting of a town wastewater system. East Ham voters also approved an override to fund the educational budget and collective bargaining agreements with town employees. The debt for the wastewater system will be paid with annual short-term rental tax revenue and will not add to the tax rate, according to the town meeting warrant. Running unopposed, Arthur Arturino and Amy Ekman will return to their seats on the select board. Voters chose Monica Liliana Montoyo-Quintero and Deborah Raymond to fill the two empty seats on the elementary school committee. The two new members will replace current committee members Julie Lindahl and Aaron Ellis, who did not seek re-election. In Wellfleet, the Fox and Crow Cafe has been in an ongoing dispute with its neighbors about noise coming from the establishment. Earlier this month, the dispute moved to state land court as two neighbors living across the street from the business filed suit to overturn the special permit for an outdoor patio that the Zoning Board of Appeals granted owner Trudy Vermeren last month. The ZBA is now hoping that the two sides can settle their differences by agreeing on a set of conditions for having live entertainment at the cafe. Not long after the Fox and Crow opened last summer, the neighboring couple, bothered by the live music, went to Town Hall to check on what was allowed under Vermeeren's entertainment licenses. They found that she did not have a license to operate at the new location. During a hearing last fall, Town Administrator Rich Waldo said Vermeeren was told by Town Hall staff that the licenses had been transferred from her previous location. The select board addressed the error and granted new licenses. The town's attorney told the board it could attach conditions, such as keeping the windows closed or keeping the musicians inside, but the board chose not to. The neighbors filed a request for zoning enforcement with the building commissioner in early spring, suggesting five conditions of operation that included limiting the hours the patio could be used, limiting the use of the patio to seated diners only, allowing no outside music or other outdoor entertainment, requiring windows and doors to remain closed during indoor entertainment except when customers are entering or exiting, and requiring that patio lighting be dark sky compliant and not directed at abutting properties. Zoning board members said the conditions didn't appear to be too onerous, although they balked at the condition requiring windows and doors to be closed during live entertainment. In the end, the zoning board voted to uphold the building commissioner's opinion rather than modifying it, and to focus on possible modifications to the recently granted special permit. Supporters who showed up to the hearing to support the Fox and Crow owner included musicians Jody Birchall and Eleanor Dubinsky, as well as the owners of neighboring business, The Wicked Oyster. The leader of Love Live Local, Amanda Converse, has been named this year's Mercy Otis Warren Cape Cod Woman of the Year. 
Love Live Local is a Hyannis-based nonprofit organization dedicated to the promotion of local businesses across Cape Cod and hosts Love Local Fests in Asselton Park on the Hyannis waterfront. Converse founded The Current Quarterly, a fashion magazine focused on local businesses, and she serves as president of the Board of Trustees of the Hyannis Public Library. The award committee recommended her for the honor, and the Barnstable County Commissioners endorsed the selection. Converse said she was overwhelmed and humbled by the recognition. During the pandemic, Converse and Love Live Local started the Cape Cod Resilience Fund, a fund that gave $121,000 in grants to 131 local businesses. The Woman of the Year Award is in honor of Mercy Otis Warren, a playwright, historian, and pioneer in women's causes, and a Bill of Rights advocate who was born in West Barnstable in 1728. The award will be presented to Converse at a ceremony on June 14th at 7 p.m. at the historic 1717 Meeting House on Meeting House Way in West Barnstable. For Outer Cape News, this is Beth Dunn. Following on the results from Orleans, East Ham, and Brewster, reported by Beth, the town of Harwich also had an election this week. One new face will join the Harwich Select Board as vice chairman for the town's local planning committee, Jeffrey Handler, won one of the two select board seats in Tuesday's town election. Incumbent Donald Howell won the other three-year term, winning by just three votes. Howell received 1,013 votes, while former selectman Peter Pekarski came up short with 1,010 votes. As of Wednesday morning, town clerk Emily Mitchell said she had not received any requests for a recount. The deadline for such a request is 10 days after the election, meaning next Friday, May 26th. Turnout in Harwich was 17%, according to the town clerk's office, In other questions on the Harwich ballot, voters passed a Proposition 2.5 debt exclusion to pay for the design, permitting, and construction of a dry sewer pipe along Route 28. Voters also approved funding to expand the wastewater collection system in East Harwich. And voters approved a 2022 town meeting vote to amend the town charter to change references of Board of Selectmen and Chairman to select board and chair to delete references to gender. The select board race was the only contested race on the ballot in Harwich. You won't find your favorite soft drinks or seltzer waters in single-serving plastic bottles on the shelves of Wellfleet's markets this summer. A plastic bottle ban that went into effect earlier this month made Wellfleet the first town on the Cape to prohibit the commercial sale and distribution of non-alcoholic carbonated drinks in plastic bottles under 21 ounces. There have been several other initiatives to reduce the sale of plastic containers across the Cape, including some promoted by the environmental group Sustainable Practices, 
but this ban was homegrown, written by the Wellfleet Recycling Committee. The idea to broaden the town's bylaw beyond the ban on the sale of single-serving plastic water bottles started with the select board. Chair Ryan Curley said that he drafted the proposal because there had been some concern among voters that limiting the ban to still water might result in people reaching for less healthy beverages. He turned his proposal over to the Recycling Committee for its consideration. The bylaw easily passed at last September's special town meeting on a voice vote. Christine Shreves, the Recycling Committee's co-chair, said local residents are aware of the need to eliminate plastics. Bob Maderos, the manager at Wellfleet Marketplace, said the store has been working on switching to alternatives since January. He said the move limits selection, since major brands aren't going to change their packaging just for Wellfleet. Mac Hay, whose business includes two restaurants in Wellfleet, said his company had already been moving away from single-use plastics. It can be challenging, Hay said, because the increased cost can only be absorbed to a certain point. Clint Richmond, a member of the Massachusetts Sierra Club's executive committee, commended Wellfleet, saying the town has been a front-runner in the fight against plastics since it instituted a plastic bag ban in 2015. Wellfleet follows Martha's Vineyard in restricting beverages other than water sold in single-serving bottles. All six towns on the vineyard have adopted bans on the sale of non-carbonated, unflavored water and soft drinks in plastic bottles of less than 34 ounces. Sticking in Wellfleet, town officials and seashore rangers stood at a podium on Cahoon Hollow Beach last Thursday to make the official announcement that alcohol consumption and open alcohol containers would no longer be allowed on the beach. The regulation will take effect tomorrow, May 20th, and run through September 10th annually. Open containers of alcohol have never been allowed on the town's part of the beach. Consumption of alcoholic beverages used to be allowed on seashore property, but not anymore. Deputy Police Chief Kevin LaRocco said the change comes because of the huge increase in the number of people who drink excessively. School buses dropping off large groups have made the situation worse. Last July 4th weekend, more than 100 buses dropped off groups at Cahoon Hollow Beach. While Wellfleet has always prohibited the drinking of alcoholic beverages on all town properties, the seashore hasn't. But the superintendent's compendium has been changed to reflect the alcohol prohibition at the seashore section of Cahoon Hollow Beach. The town and the seashore plan to have more officers and rangers on patrol to enforce the regulations. Robert Martin has been selling firewood from a roadside lot on Route 6 in Truro since he began renting it in January. This spring, the business's footprint grew larger and flatter as concrete bays of landscaping material went in. Then piles of gravel arrived, along with signs for RJM Enterprises. RJM Enterprises is Robert Martin's business selling firewood and landscaping material at the former site of Jack's Gas in Truro. As it turns out, Martin didn't ask for permission to expand the operation in these ways. 
On May 3rd, Martin received a cease-and-desist letter from Truro Building Commissioner Richard Stevens. After the town was advised in a letter from Cape Cod National Seashore Superintendent Brian Karlstrom that Martin's activities on the site were unlawful. Martin said this week he plans to appeal the order to cease operations. The 1.7-acre property is in the National Seashore. Both federal regulations and the town's zoning bylaws stipulate that commercial use of a property that was active before 1961, when the seashore was created, may continue, but in no case shall the use be altered or converted to another commercial use. According to Karlstrom, the sale of gasoline is the only commercial use that predated the establishment of the seashore. Martin said that he's agreed to stop importing landscaping material onto the property, but his sale of the material and of firewood will continue as he appeals the order. The board unanimously voted to continue the hearing to May 24th. After 16 years, Cape Symphony's conductor and artistic director Jung Ho Pak is leaving at the end of the summer. A near-constant presence in Cape schools, at community events, and behind the baton at Cape Symphony concerts, Pak has been credited with increasing the Cape Symphony's reach and diversifying its audience. In a written release from Cape Symphony, he said, It's been a great honor to serve as artistic director and conductor of the Cape Symphony, and he's confident that the orchestra will continue to thrive under new leadership. Anthony Panabianco, chairman of the Cape Symphony's Board of Trustees, said Pac's greatest joy is working with children. Working with local educators, Pac started a program that has a piece of classical music played on the intercom each morning as a primer to the genre. Panabianco said Pac will continue leading the Fremont Symphony Orchestra in California. The conductor has had homes on both coasts, splitting his time between the two for the past 16 years. In a statement announcing Pack's upcoming departure, Cape Symphony officials said they'll reach out to guest conductors through 2024 while conducting a search for Pack's replacement. Panabianco said it will be difficult to replace the artistic rigor and pure joy Pack brings to the job. Pack's last concert will be Star Wars on July 29th and 30th. For Outer Cape News, my name is Matthew Dunn. This is meteorologist Will David with your weekly weather watch and temperature trend for the Outer Cape. After the midweek chill, temperatures have rebounded, and with that strong late May sunshine, it's a beautiful end to the work week. But a frontal system over the Ohio Valley is moving east. At the same time, a non-tropical low off the North Carolina coast is moving north. These two systems will combine to bring showers and even a few thunderstorms to the Outer Cape Saturday and Saturday night. Now, the timing of the weekend showers may not be the best, but we could use the rain to lower the pollen count. More on that coming up. And it may be the last good chance for rain as next week is looking dry and breezy. In fact, the next chance of showers after this weekend may not again occur until, you guessed it, Memorial Day weekend. 
At this point, the holiday weekend weather doesn't look bad, but if you're hoping for beach weather to coincide with the unofficial beginning of summer, it's not happening. Of course, I'll have a much more detailed forecast next week. In the long term, warmer air may overspread the outer cape at the end of May and into early June, but the overall pattern is not yet giving me any strong signals for any prolonged summer-like weather. Elsewhere across the nation, the big story continues to be the ongoing heat wave over the Pacific Northwest and Western Canada. Temperatures will soar well into the 90s this weekend, and records dating back over a century will likely be broken. This dome of record heat combined with an ongoing drought is still creating wildfires across this part of North America, and the smoke continues to spill into the U.S. Meanwhile, the central and southern plains will see strong to severe storms today, with that area of severe weather sliding eastward across the deep south and eventually Florida during the weekend. And a non-tropical low is producing heavy rain, thunderstorms, and gusty winds along the mid-Atlantic coast. This is the part of the rainmaker coming to the Outer Cape tomorrow and tomorrow night. And finally, it's not your imagination. The allergy season is now longer and more intense thanks in part to climate change. And this spring has been especially difficult. Pollen counts continue to surge and the reactions in the form of itchy eyes, runny noses, and even shortness of breath are among the worst ever. These maladies are being driven by an allergy season now over two weeks longer than it was 50 years ago. Higher temperatures and increased carbon dioxide in the air are causing plants to grow larger, and that's resulting in an increased output of pollen. In addition, we had that mild start to spring followed by a chilly, wet April, and that put a brief hold on the growing season. Then all of a sudden, this warm, dry spell in May caused most everything to bloom at nearly the same time. Tree pollen is usually considered at very high levels when it's over 1,500 grains per cubic meter. This week, the pollen counts soared to almost 5,000. I mentioned that climate change may be partly responsible. Another factor may be the lack of masks that were so prevalent during COVID. Being maskless makes everyone more vulnerable. Unfortunately, the next couple of weeks will continue to be pretty rough, with tree pollen likely continuing into June. Now my exclusive WOMR weekend weather forecast for the Outer Cape. This afternoon, bright sunshine, highs around 63. Tonight, becoming mostly cloudy, lows around 55. Saturday and Saturday night, breezy with showers and scattered thunderstorms, near steady temperatures around 60. Finally, on Sunday, after a few leftover morning showers, it should become mostly sunny and warmer, highs around 73. As always, stay safe and informed by keeping an eye to the sky and an ear to the radio. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. I'm Weather Will. Among the issues that define the American divide between so-called traditional and moral values versus greater tolerance for our many differences, also known as the culture wars, there are some really wacky controversies that stand out. The recent gas stove wars, 
the fabricated demands for litter boxes in public school bathrooms, the gender of the toy once called Mr. Potato Head, not to mention the controversy over woke lesbian M&Ms. But it would be a mistake to laugh these off as symbols of contemporary madness, especially when you recognize that on this very week about six decades ago, none other than the Federal Bureau of Investigation was called on to pass final judgment on the song Louie Louie. Sometimes declared the most famous rock song of all time, there are reportedly over two thousand cover versions, Louie Louie was first written and recorded by one Richard Berry and his band The Pharaohs in 1957. Based on a rendition of the tune El Loco Chacha, popularized by a Cuban band leader, it tells the first-person story of a Jamaican sailor returning to the island to see his lover. The song was popular enough until 1963 when it was recorded by a Portland, Oregon rock band called The Kingsmen, whose lead singer had just had the braces on his teeth retightened and had to awkwardly crane his neck in order for his voice to reach the recording studio's lone microphone. As a result, the lyrics were famously muddled. Opaque enough, apparently, for two high school students from Frankfurt, Indiana, to write a complaint to the state's governor about the song's filthy lyrics. The governor then sent an aide to a music store to buy the record. After playing it over and again at several speeds, he was convinced the lyrics might indeed be dirty and contacted the Federal Communications Commission. Within days, the recording was under investigation by the United States Postal Service, Robert Kennedy's Justice Department, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Over the course of the next two years, the FBI gathered many versions of the putative lyrics to Louie Louie. They interviewed the man who wrote the song and officials of the record label that released the Kingsman's smash hit single. They turned the record over to the audio experts at the FBI laboratory who played and replayed Louie Louie at 78 RPM, 45 RPM, 33 and a third RPM, and even slower speeds in an effort to determine whether it was pornographic and, therefore, whether its sale was a violation of the federal interstate transportation of obscene material law. Which is not to say there weren't dirty lyrics to Louie Louie going around. They just weren't in the Kingsman's recording of the song. Long before the internet was used to circulate such things, high school kids scrawled notes on crumpled pieces of paper, which were passed from kid to kid and school to school. Rumors even abound that a set of dirty lyrics were compiled by the FBI itself in an effort to comprehend what they thought they might be hearing. The phony lyrics mimicked the cadence of the original lyrics exactly, and soon enough the very idea 
idea became a kind of Rorschach test for dirty minds, people hearing exactly what they imagined they were hearing. I can't repeat them here, but you can Google them, and I promise they're as filthy as anything recorded recently by Snoop Dogg, Lady Gaga, or Outkast. Rock critic Dave Marsh wrote that the lyrics controversy reflected the country's infantile sexuality and ensured the song's eternal perpetuation. It influenced The Who, The Kinks, and countless punk bands. Radio stations air annual Louie Louie marathons, one station playing nothing but covers of Louie Louie for six straight days. Louie Louie has been arranged for marching bands, has won recognition in countless best-of-all-time rock song lists, and is the namesake of an annual Seattle Times Award for bad taste in the Pacific Northwest. As for that federal investigation, it was officially concluded on May the 17th, 1965, that the lyrics of Louie Louie were unintelligible at any speed, which of course accounts for most of those cultural complaints that occupy the national debate instead of real problems that need to be addressed. I'm Ira Wood, and that's my opinion. And that does it for this week's edition of Outer Cape News. Thanks go to the Provincetown Independent, the Provincetown Banner, the Cape Codder, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. Thanks also to Beth Dunn, Will David, and Ira Wood for their contributions to the program. And thanks to Henry and Jane Fisher and Jacob Greenberg for being sustaining members of Outer Cape News. And now stay tuned for Friday Afternoon Jazz. It's Stirred Not Shaken with Hank and Andy on listener-supported Community Radio. WOMR.